<laughs> In the course of a Vipassana retreat, especially when encountering plenty of Vatna challenging formations, and with this Satna, then you know, there's a very you know, direct, very intense experience of Dukkha. Sometimes one might wonder. Is there any happiness in this practice to be found? <laughs> well, to balance out certain, uh, this certain misperception, the topic of our Dhamma talk today will be Sukha, which Shatna then translates as Satna happiness. Now, the Pali term Sukha frequently occurs in uh, one major meaning, namely as a pleasant feeling, and we will briefly touch on this. And Satna then, the Pali word Sukha also covers a number of other aspects of various levels of a happy mind. Now, before going into the details, allow me that Satna this talk, allow me to state that Satna this talk is very much inspired by a chapter in a book written by Venerable Bhikkhu Analayo, and Satna the title of that book is Excursions into the Thought World of the Pali Discourses. So in a number of ways, Satna, I will follow his Satna structures, his structure, although on occasion yeah, there will be yeah, some deviation. Now, before going into those various levels of a happy mind, allow me to yeah, briefly mm, explain on Sukha yeah, Vedana. The Sutanta definition for Sukha Vedana is certainly given as follows, namely, whatever is felt bodily or mentally as pleasant and soothing is pleasant feeling. Sukha Vedana in the Pali scriptural language. Now, the Pali term Vedana roughly you know, translates as, or you know, roughly can be identified as the effective mode in which an object is experienced. So, as being either pleasant or unpleasant, or neither unpleasant nor you know, pleasant. Now, the Visuddhimagga definition for it, this universal mental factor is as follows, namely, it has the characteristic of being felt. And its function is experiencing, or its second function is to enjoy the desirable aspect of the object. Its manifestation is the relishing of the associated mental you know, factors. Uh, 
And the proximate or nearest cause for the arising of uh, a feeling is suddenly given as sudden tranquility. Now, feelings come up all the time. Since sudden feeling is a universal mental state, it will always accompany consciousness, no matter whether that sudden consciousness is rooted in greed, in hatred, delusion, or in non-greed, non-hatred, or non-delusion. Now, because of various consequences around certain feelings, because of the importance of certain feelings, the Buddha has included feelings as one of the four establishments of mindfulness in Pali, known as Vedana Nupasana Satipatthana. The instructions that certainly can be found in the Satipatthana Sutta with regard to a mindful contemplation of feelings are as follows, and I'm quoting from the Majjhima Nikaya translation of the Satipatthana Sutta. When feeling a pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unpleasant feeling. And when feeling a neutral feeling, one knows I feel a neutral feeling. So that's one uh, section. And then the instructions go on to further differentiate, namely into um, worldly feelings and unworldly feelings. Namely, when feeling a worldly pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. And when feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly pleasant feeling. And then that same structure uh, then is applied to worldly unpleasant, unworldly, unpleasant feelings, worldly and uh, worldly neutral, as well as unworldly neutral feelings. Now, as a rough explanation of uh, what is meant uh, by worldly pleasant feelings, those are in accordance with the Patisambhita Magga. The pleasant feelings that are related to the six sense pleasures, whereas unworldly pleasant feelings are related to the to renunciation. So more specifically, a pleasant certain feeling is a feeling that certainly is connected with well worldly carnal sensuality 
And a spiritual pleasant feeling is a feeling that arises, for instance, in the first jhana when practicing samatha meditation, or that arises as part of the insight practice, or when recollecting, for instance, virtues of the Buddha, virtues of the Dhamma, etc. Now, a contemplation of certain pleasant feelings is certainly so important because if one were not to be mindful of certain pleasant feelings, what would typically happen? Attachment would arise. This is correct. So in the absence of footnote mindfulness, there's a pleasant feeling, and right away, the mental factor, unwholesome mental factor of liking, will follow, and certainly then attachment will go along with it, and that attachment could even turn into attachment craving, and could turn even into grasping. Being mindful, however, of a pleasant feeling whenever it occurs in connection with this or that predominant physical or mental formation, then allows to break that sudden connection and suddenly then a pleasant feeling arises and simply there is no, no attachment follows. The first volume of the Anguttara Nikaya in its section 80 contains a number of really short Satna discourses all related to happiness. And in each case, speaking of two kinds of happiness and contrasting one with another. So from that series of discourses, we can then distinguish between various forms of worldly happiness and various forms of unworldly happiness. So based uh, based on those different short satna suttas. The first among the forms of worldly happiness is happiness of the lay life, gihi sukha. So being married, having children, and satna then um, having a good, well-paying job, satisfying job, and satna plenty of friends, and materially one is satna well off, enjoys satna one's satna life, goes on vacations, and does all these satna things. Now, different from this is the happiness of one gone forth, Pabbajita Sukha in the Pali scriptural language. Now, does this mean one has to ordain for lifetime? 
Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Even going on a, a retreat might qualify or qualifies already as a form of this happiness that arises in one who has gone forth. Namely, who for a limited period of time, like four weeks, six weeks, decides to leave home, leave one's workplace, one's friends and relatives, and then instead to undergo a training in virtue, concentration and wisdom. So, for a person who you know, previously enjoyed you know, the happiness of lay life and then comes on retreat and you know, then experiences you know, the happiness of one gone you know, forth, what kind of example would you give for the second type of uh, uh, happiness? Tranquility then comes up, yes. Uh, freedom from the hindrances, and some even in simple aspects, as uh, uh, as a husband, as a wife, you know, family, you know, father, mother. At home, you have to put up with your nagging kids, and <laughs> <laughs> you come on that retreat, and suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> there is certainly some, you know, noticeable, there might be some noticeable uh, contrast here. Now, then, as the next pair of forms of happiness, worldly, unworldly happiness, we have sensual happiness, kama sukha in the body, scriptural language, and then we have non-sensual happiness, namely nekama sukha in the Pali scriptural language. So essential happiness is the happiness that arises from indulging in Essential pleasures. There you go. So, the happiness that arises from going to the movies, happiness that arises from going on with friends for dinner, or the happiness that might arise from going on a boating trip on a Sunday, on a sunny weekend, and things like this. Now, different from this is the so-called non-sensual happiness, nekama sukha. And the explanation for this, also known as happiness of renunciation, is certainly given by the commentary of or commentary to the Majjhima Nikaya as happiness of renunciation because it yields the bliss of renouncing sensual pleasures. For a person who's 
only familiar with sensual pleasures, it might certainly seem like certainly something unthinkable you know, that certainly there other form there could be other forms of certain happiness. Now when we go on a retreat, within a couple of certain weeks, we realize that certainly there are many other forms of happiness available. For instance, this certain happiness of certain renunciation. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Panita Bhivamsa has stated on many occasions, no doubt those indulging in sensual pleasures yields a form of happiness. However, that kind of a happiness is a comp- What's that? Temporary. Is temporary and that's certainly that's all the same unsatisfactory and he goes even further by saying that kind of a happiness can turn out something to be a fatal type of happiness so drinking a glass of wine might be that <laughs> might be still okay by ordinary standards, but certainly if one ends up drinking maybe twenty glasses of wine, then the happiness might have turned into suffering, especially the next morning. Now, however. That Satnet Nekama Nesukha that is Satna a form of happiness that Satna arises out of our meditation practice, for instance, in the tender stage of the fourth insight knowledge, when the imperfections of insight Satna come up, and Satna at that point, some profound happiness will arise, and that happiness is unrelated to the indulgence in sensual pleasures. But rather it's a happiness that arises out of the relative purity of the mind and happiness that arises based on other um, wholesome uh, mental states. Now then we have happiness certain with attachment, upadi sukha, and certainly then happiness that is free from attachment, niru padi sukha. So presence, absence of attachment may make a huge difference. When we get what we are attached to, happiness arises. When we don't get what we are attached to, what we want, what we wish to possess, then disappointment might follow. Now, Nirupadi Nesukha is not that kind of a happiness, but rather a happiness that is free from attachment. Then we have happiness related to the 
corruptions, the taints, the influx, influxes, the so-called asavas. So you know, this type of happiness is known as sa-asava-sukha. And then on the other hand, you know, we have happiness that is unrelated to unrelated to, free from those sudden influxes, corruptions, or taints. And then finally, there's ignoble happiness and noble happiness, anariya sukha and ariyatna sukha in the Palitna scriptural language. Now, one will see over a time that there, or when undertakes the meditation practice, one can experience for oneself various levels of happiness, various sorts or kinds of happiness. And these have also been described in the text. And these four various levels of happiness are not necessarily identical. Basically, one could certainly say they go from coarse forms of early happiness, early experiences of happiness, to extremely refined forms of happiness. Now, what we shall do is explore the development of happiness in the course of one's mindfulness practice. At the time of the Buddha, the Jains had this certain understanding, this notion that in order to gain pleasure, one had to deliberately expose oneself to pain. And so they did not certainly think that certain pleasure could arise without exposing oneself unnecessarily to pain. The Buddha to be, so the Bodhisattva, Siddhartha, held Satna or shared that Satna particular view for a number of Satna years. And this became very obvious when he underwent or undertook ascetic Satna practices for a period of six years. So, eating less and less, sleeping less and less, and just exposing himself to ever greater forms of suffering. And in the end, did he gain enlightenment that way? Not at all.
Now, a major turning point in his spiritual quest was when, after having renounced ascetic uh, practices, and his certain a group of five Fatna friends, the Panchavagya, he then went off on his own and suddenly one day he reflected on a meditation experience that took place while he was still a young boy in Kapila Watu, namely his the place of Fatna, his sudden childhood. So while his Satna father, King Surudana, was busy with royal affairs, young Siddhartha was suddenly sitting under the cool shade of a rose apple tree and he just spontaneously, naturally meditated, and it so happened that he experienced what? Jhanas. He experienced the first jhana. Much later on, he realized that the happiness that arises from the first Tatna jhana is actually a wholesome form of happiness, a recommendable form of happiness, and was not necessarily something that had to be shunned, as Satna was the accepted view at Satna is time in India. So that then meant that Satna, he could include a form of practice that would lead to a happiness that Satna came with Satna, the practice of the jhanas. So that early form of happiness related to the first Satna jhana was just a starter, so to speak, when it comes to his explorations, his sudden discovery of happiness. Now, a highly developed form of happiness occurred much later, namely after the Buddha had suddenly gained, after Prince Siddhartha had well, spent the night under the Bodhi tree, gained omniscient knowledge. And he then spent, so he gained suddenly Arahat Satna, Arahat Satna Magga, so the noble path knowledge of Arahantship, and he then spent seven days in seven different locations enjoying what? The fruits of his practice, enjoying what is known as Ariya Arahata 
Pāna-samāpati. So, enjoying the attainment of um, the noble fruit or noble fruition of arahantship. Now, this particular experience comes up in one of the discourses in the Majjhima Nikaya, namely, it's first uh, volume section 94, and Satya there is a discussion between the Buddha and Satya some dis-Satna believers and Satna, you know, the discussion is about Satna forms of happiness and King Bimbisara of Magadha is Satna present. And Satna so or King Bimbisara of Magadha is being referred to, this would be more correct to say. And so the Buddha boldly states that to him is available a happiness that is much more profound than any possible happiness that King Bimbisara of Magadha uh, could uh, experience. Now, the non-believers uh, kind are kind of shocked, yet they don't quite understand what this is all about. And then he says, the Buddha asks, does King Bimbisara of Magadha, does he experience a happiness for seven days while being seated without moving the body and without uttering a single word? And he's not. Then the Buddha goes on to say, However, in his case, he did experience such kind of a happiness. And you know, the reference then is to his experience of Ariya, Arahata, Nepala, right after gaining omniscient knowledge. So then it goes without saying that that form of happiness that comes with the noble fruition of arahantship is far deeper, goes far beyond any kind of happiness that would certainly be available to a royal person, to a king or a queen. Now, in the end, so this means over a longer period of time of Satna practice, this mindfulness Satna practice is bound to bring about profound changes, and with this, more and more happiness becomes available to a person.
Now, this may not happen necessarily within a week or two. And so on one occasion we had a short-term retreat and at the center in Lumbini who had Satna just arrived in practice for just two, three days and Satna then right after breakfast came and said I want to leave because all the yogis here seem so serious and <laughs> they don't really display much joy or happiness. So so we tried uh, the, you know, the two the monastics at Satna, you know, the center, you know, trying to convince Satna you know, that short-term you know, retreat and otherwise, but no luck. And she then decided, so she, you know, in the end, Satna you know, did leave. Now, that Satna you know, might be um, just an initial impression. But like I said, when we look at the development a person takes over a longer period of time, then for sure meditators end up all altogether more cheerful and more joyful. And this is exactly what King Pasenadi of Kosala found for him or found found out about the disciples of the Buddha. So this particular instance is certainly recorded in the second volume of the Majjhimanikaya, section 121, where we have this King Pasanadi of Kosala at an advanced age paying respect to the Buddha they've not met before. And then I think King Pasanadi is, has already such a high opinion of the Buddha and his disciples. He bows down and Satna then touches Satna the Buddha's feet and even covers Satna his feet with kisses. So you can imagine a king doing that to you know, the Buddha is quite something. And so the Buddha you know, was quite surprised about you know, this you know, kind of a treatment and you know, respect. And he asked King Pasanadi, what makes you have such faith in him, you know, the Buddha and his disciples? And then the visiting king explains as follows. Namely, he describes the disciples of the Buddha, monks and nuns, as a smiling, a smiling and cheerful, sincerely joyful and plainly delighting, living at ease and unruffled. Now, there's another passage in the text that makes a useful distinction between forms of happiness that do not accord with Dhamma and forms of happiness that do accord with Dhamma. And the Buddha states that effort is fruitful 
And I'm quoting if it is fruitful in the case of those who do not give up the happiness that accords with the Dhamma. So let's say that the happiness that arises as part of the fourth insight knowledge, well, that sapna happiness, there's no need to deliberately get rid of. When it rises, one is all one needs to do is sudden to be mindful of it, to label it, observe it, observe it in a non-attached manner, know its nature. Sooner or later, however, that happiness will it will pass away, like any other conditioned formation. Now, there's the part of verse 194 that speaks of yet another source of happiness, namely the arising of a Buddha and himself um, can be a source of happiness, especially for you know, those who have you know, the great fortune to meet such a Buddha and suddenly hearing the teaching of Fatna, the teaching in the form of Fatna, the Dhamma, this too can be a tremendous Satna source of happiness. Now, when we practice in accordance with the Buddha's instructions or his teachings and we then over time do reap benefits, substantial benefits from this practice. We see that this practice indeed reduces suffering and it leads to gradually leads to more and more or the arising of more and more inner happiness then we will come to appreciate that dhamma and it will already be a or can easily then turn into a source of happiness if one then goes on to share near this dhamma with others, then this is likely to lead to dukkha or sukha. Sukha. There you go. Now, there's a huge difference between teaching the Dhamma and certainly teaching, let's say, how to invent and manufacture uh, arms. Now, in the case of the Dhamma, it's, uh, uh, this is geared uh, towards uh, um, the welfare and happiness of the many, but when it comes to inventing and manufacturing arms, well, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, potential destruction involved. There's a very 
inspiring and essential passage in the first volume of Fatna the Samyutta Nikaya, section 105, and a similar passage also occurs in the Mahaparinibbana, the Sutta of the Diga Nikaya, namely, and a passage that states basically the objective of Fatna, these Satna teachings. So, the passage from the Samyutta Nikaya um, uh, describes um, a situation where you know, the Buddha was Satna residing at Satna, the deer park in uh, uh, Sarnad, near uh, Benares. And Satna, so he has Satna, this group of disciples around Satna him, and he then uh, speaks to them. Wander forth, O bhikkhus, for the welfare of the multitude, for, and what interests us, for the happiness of the multitude, out of compassion for the world, for the goods, welfare, and happiness of devas and humans. Let not two go the same way, Teach, O bhikkhus, the Dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing. Reveal the perfectly complete and purified holy life. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are falling away because they do not hear the Dhamma. I too, Nebekus, will go to Senanigama in Uruvela in order to teach the Dhamma. So it is a Dhamma that Satna ultimately leads Satna to true happiness. Mentioned already several times in the course of Fatna, this Satna retreat, is a series of Fatna mental factors. Beginning with the arising of gladness, Pamuja, this Satna then leads to what? Not quite yet. Uh, there you go, leading to the arising of joy, which is a stronger form. And uh, so Bamuja is a weak form of Fatnapiti, and Piti then itself is stronger form of you know, joy. And with, when that Satna joy then becomes increasingly refined, it will lead to a stilling of the body, that in turn will lead to a stilling of the mind, and that then leads to the arising of happiness, Sukha. And the Sukha in turn is Satna then a foundation for, or approximate cause for, concentration, this is correct, and the concentration you know, then paves the way for the arising of intuitive wisdom, and that ultimately leads to the realization of the Dhamma.
Now, a really early form of happiness occurs just because of our taking and meticulously observing the precepts. So, observing the precepts will then have certain results, namely, our bodily and verbal conduct becomes purified. And when reflecting on one's purity in bodily and verbal conduct, then one feels, as is stated in one of the discourses, one will feel in one's heart an irreproachable or blameless form of happiness, sukha in the Pali scriptural language. If one then goes on to also practice restraint of the senses, which we are doing here, yet another form of happiness becomes available, known in the Pali scriptural language as abhyaseka sukha, namely unimpaired happiness or unblemished happiness. So those are just some early forms of happiness that become available to a retreatant. Now, when a retreatant engages in the samatha meditation, then there's a likelihood for other forms of happiness to arise. And as we've seen already, there will be the happiness that satna occurs in the context of the first satna jhana. So that first satna jhana is characterized as possessing bliss and uh, the bliss and happiness of seclusion vivekajam piti in the Pali scriptural language. So that's certain bliss and happiness that arises out of seclusion. Then, when going deeper, when experiencing the second jhana, a different form of fatna bliss and happiness arises, namely bliss and happiness that arises out of concentration, samadhijam piti sukham in the Pali scriptural language. When going even further, a retreatant is likely to experience a third form one in a third form of happiness, namely that of happy dwelling in equanimity and mindfulness. At that point the joy is no longer the jhanic factor of joy is no longer available, that falls away, and what then remains is an easeful bodily state and the mind is satna then in a state of equanimity and mindfulness. The Pani for this is upekako satima sukhavihari. Now, 
at times, retreatants, when reflecting back on their retreat time, let's say a longer retreat like this one or some earlier retreat, sometimes retreatants make the following statement. My retreat back then, uh, or that certain particular retreat, was the most happy time in my life. And why would this be? No, that's it. And so one that might certainly experience, at least at times, a great purity of the mind, the mind being free from mental defilements, and certainly less anxiety there, less worries there, less restlessness there, less skeptical doubt, etc., etc. And that, in comparison to one's ordinary state of mind as it occurs during worldly life, that certainly can be quite certainly different. So that certainly then, that particular understanding then nicely ties in with a statement or, well, with Dhammapada verse number 27 that Satna says, therefore, and therefore is in reference to an earlier verse, namely 26, one should not be negligent nor be addicted to sensual pleasures for he or she who is established in mindfulness through cultivation of tranquility and insight practice experiences supreme happiness. In other words, realizes Ibana. And Papoti Vipulam Sukham is certainly the relevant certain line in the Pali uh, language or in Pali words. Now, during a longer retreat, such as a one-month retreat, certainly a six-week retreat, one might certainly go really far and experience, let's say, states of equanimity, of deep equanimity towards certain formations. As long as the retreat is going on, one will, on occasion, experience that equanimity again. However, then, when going back to worldly life, that equanimity becomes less and less available. And so, reflecting back on one's experiences of equanimity during intensive practice, then helps to realize how precious those sudden moments of intensive practice were.
part of the fourth inside knowledge we have the arising of sukha and satna so you know, then it's known as satna uh, sukha vipassana upakiresa an imperfection of insight if it's associated with attachment with satna craving or you know, with conceit or you know, wrong view retreatant uh, vipassana retreatant might satna then experience this as uh, a sense of an overall a sense of well-being body and mind are you know, very much you know, relaxed you know, there's um, a great absence of you know, pains and if pains uh, are you know, present then only very few and they're not very you know, strong and so then there's this uh, uh, presence of pleasure, of bliss, of uh, um, easefulness. Now, when a retreatant then comes across this happiness, this profound certain happiness, then he or she will realize that other forms of, or this certain form of happiness is quite different from the happiness that arises from indulging in sensual pleasures. And that will typically encourage or inspire retreatant to go on with one certain meditation practice. Now, there's also a form of joy and gladness that one is likely to experience when mm, experiencing or coming across you know, the fast arising and passing away of formations. The Dhammapada Versa 374 expresses this as follows, namely, Every time one clearly comprehends the arising, the perishing of Fatna, the Khandas, namely the aggregates, one finds joy and gladness. That, to the wise, is the way to Nibbana. Now, a person who engages in mindfulness meditation, who goes into seclusion, practices mindfulness meditation, and then clearly perceives the Dhamma, such a person will experience joy that by far transcends the joy of ordinary men and women. And that satna joy is known as dhamma arati, it or dhamma delights, or, and it consists of three mental factors, namely you know, joy, tranquility, and happiness. The Buddha does a certain speak of. Dukkha, in the context of the Four Noble Truths, he speaks of the um, existence of Fatna Dukkha, 
Uh, and uh, you know, the noble first noble truth of the existence of Vatna Dukkha, then you know, the second noble truth is of the origin of you know, Dukkha, you know, so which uh, you know, then uh, is traced back to uh, cr you know, uh, you know, craving and could be further traced back to ignorance. So there clearly, yes, Satna, there is mention made of Fatna Dukkha. However, as the Venerable Nebiko Analayo has Satna pointed out, the Four Noble Truths are not all about Satna, just Dukkha, but especially the Third and Satna Fourth Noble Truth are about the cessation of Fatna Dukkha, so the ending of Fatna Dukkha and you know, the path that leads to you know, the ending of suffering. The Buddha then says, I do not say that the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by suffering or displeasure. Rather, the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied only by happiness and joy. What for? And then he lists the Four Noble Truths. One the source for you know, the arising of happiness is simply the eradication of mental defilements. And so, you know, so obviously this eradication of mental defilements doesn't happen all at once, but rather one needs to be mindful of defilements whenever they come up. Every time one is mindful of them and knows the nature of a mental defilement, this will lead to awakening of that respective defilement, will also lead to a temporary abandoning of that defilement. But that doesn't mean that such a defilement is gone. Not yet. It can return at any point especially when in the absence of mindfulness. Now, among all forms of happiness, which one is the most noble? Nibbana, the happiness of Nibbana. Nibbana Paramam Sukham, as Dhammapada verse 203 says. So, among all forms of happiness, the most exquisite one is that happiness of Nibbana. Now, that happiness is very different from ordinary forms of happiness in the sense that it does not require, it is different from the happiness that arises in connection with conditioned formations. So the happiness of Nibbana 
is a so-called non-sensate form of happiness that is not based on indulging in conditioned formations. So the very absence of fatna, the arising of conditioned formations, is or amounts to a form of happiness. Now, in the case of an arahant who's profoundly seen the nature of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings, he or she will no longer take delight in pleasant feelings nor cling to them, but rather experience them with an inner detachment and certain wisdom and just see them as formations. Now, allow me to conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk on happiness with Dhammapada verse 203. Hunger is the greatest ailment. The khandas, or the five aggregates, are the greatest ill. The wise, knowing them as they really are, realize Nibbana, the greatest bliss. Nibbanam Paramam Sukham. So with these words, allow me to conclude, wishing that we may experience not only early forms of happiness, but suddenly take our practice deeper and deeper, so that ultimately we experience that peace of Nibbana, that happiness of Nibbana. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.